Hey, what is up guys? And welcome back to the College Info Geek Podcast, the internet's best resource for getting ahead as a student, but a terrible resource for learning how to join the Ginyu Force. Yeah, I, if I could have joined that, I already would have done it. I don't know Same. how. I don't have the secrets. I would have been flying around space. Do they fly around space? I, I mean, yeah. I would have been an in international touring boy I mean, band. Is that I what guess they are? In another sense, though, it wouldn't be that fortunate to be on that team. Spoilers for, for like Spoilers 15 year for like old, a 20 year old show. It, yeah, it's probably older than I'm thinking. <laughs> BBC is from the 90s. I think. Yeah, yeah, it's like pretty, late 90s. It's a little old. Because Dragon Ball is 80s, possibly late 80s. I don't know. I didn't get to see that. I only had cable at my uh, dad's place, so I didn't, I didn't have consistent access. Gotcha. To the proper Dragon Ball experiences. That's totally fair. I also had very limited access to... Uh, I remember not having also. internet and, like, TV and stuff. Well, I had it, but when I was growing Back up... In the day. So I'd get home from school at 3.30, and at 3.30, Zoids was on Toonami, which is my favorite show when I was a kid. So I would watch that every single day without fail. And the deal I had with my mom is after Zoids, I had to do my chores before I could do anything else. And unfortunately, that's when DBZ was. Oh, no. So I basically was never allowed to watch Dragon Ball Z. Maybe that was like a clever way to keep you from watching Dragon Ball Z. It's <laughs> too, Dragon it's Ball too, Z is such a bad show. It's too violent. <laughs> so we're just going to we're gonna do something that coincidentally keeps you from watching it, but you've never been told you can't. You know, if we did a statistical analysis of every frame in that show, it's actually not very violent at all. Um, because it's like what 90% about when they get their like driver's standing licenses. and screaming. Think about it. There's like 1% getting driver's licenses. There's like 1% actual fighting, but most of it is charging up and then saying, oh my God, his power level's gone. Well, well yeah, and then you get, you got like all the motivational speeches. Yeah, you got to have those. Because otherwise, how do you know how powerful you, you are as Krillin, the listener? And then, and then spoilers, Krillin can't do it. Well, yeah. Spoilers, like 99% of the cast in that show is absolutely useless and they're just like <laughs> there because it would be boring if just Goku showed up every single time. Don't. Don't leave out Vegeta. <laughs> I think it's kind of funny when I watch One Punch Man and it's like, oh, hey, they're making another contrived reason for Saitama to not be in the area where he needs to be because it would be really boring if he was. And uh, I just now realize, like, that's basically what Dragon Ball Z was doing. I mean, that's a lot of at stuff. At the same time. Because, like, yeah, Goku's going to be the one who wins the fight almost always with very few uh, exceptions. I guess, like, the exceptions grow in number as the show goes on and, like, you get whatever else go go tanks well all that matters is that vegeta is cooler so he definitely not cooler the character more of a widow's you. peak he's angrier that's what makes him cooler. <laughs> that's how you get the widow's peak he's, you get he's as angry as possible yeah he angered away his hairline <laughs> where's the hulk's widow's watch peak out man? he's like the angriest isn't he anyway yeah, all right something welcome back to the college of Geek podcast um I'm Thomas Frank, here as always with my good friend Martin Baby, and we're in a new set. As, as as tradition dictates, we have a new set, we have to have a askew picture of Cave Johnson as our temporary backdrop, because I haven't figured out yet what to do with this backdrop. There's a lot of room. But uh, for anyone curious, I decided to make some targeted, and uh, I would say needed upgrades to our camera gear i've been using the same like cheap 50 dollar pair of lights from amazon for my entire youtube career actually that's not true first i built diy lights from home depot didn't you like like five dollars um that's a fun story so i knew literally nothing about video lighting 
So my first attempt to build a video light, I went to Target and I purchased a hamper, like a clothes hamper, that was constructed out mm-hmm. of cardboard wrapped in fabric. Great for a hamper. Okay. And it was kind of like, you know... Oh, I think I know It was kind of about. like a... Is it a trapezoid or whatever? Or it's it's not like a straight up cube. It was like, you know, sort of smaller base and then it came up. So it was like okay. an easy way to catch clothes, okay. right? I'm seeing what you're like saying. That. It looks like the top of like a minecart in Donkey Kong. Yes. Okay. It's like a Donkey Kong That's what I needed. Cart, That's right? exactly the visualization. And then I went to yeah. Home Depot and I bought a... <clears throat> um, it's not tungsten. It's like it's one of those like shop lights that spoilers get pretty hot. I don't remember what type of light it is. Definitely, I think it's like a halogen. Maybe it's what it was or something mm-hmm. like that. Definitely not LED. Um, so I'm like, all right, I've seen movie sets before. They have like these big soft boxes on their lights. So I will just take this hamper. I will cut a hole in the bottom of it and I will duct tape it onto the front of this light that I bought. And I set it up, and then I taped a bed sheet in front of the the opening of the hamper for diffusion. Yep. Thinking I was so smart. And then I started filming my video, and then I'm like, wait, is that smoke? Yep. (laughs) Coming off of the back of the hamper light? Uh, Yeah. So it turns out, um, if it was halogen, I can't remember, but those shop lights, they get hot. And uh, as it turns out, the soft boxes you see on movie sets are specifically constructed to handle heat. Are you sure that they didn't use bed sheets and like hampers? Well, you know what? They probably did back in like uh, Buster Keaton's days and they probably set stuff on fire. So let me open this. Uh, fire did happen sometimes. That's a sentence. Yeah. That's very true. Fire did happen sometimes. That's technically true. Yeah. Uh, it almost happened to it's me. It's not that insightful. But so it after true. that, I went and actually like looked up a <clears> tutorial <throat> online. They were like, hey, get these lights and get LED light bulbs that don't put out heat and put... Um, wax paper or parchment paper in front because you know that's a substance that is built to go in ovens so that worked for a while and then i did really like a cheap light set from amazon that worked a little better but uh you know i've been doing youtube for five years it's like it's time that's a bit it's time it's been a better equipment um and then i got the better equipment and i realized wait there's just not space in my studio anymore so i successfully convinced anna to let me turn the entire basement into a studio which actually made a whole lot more sense than what we were doing with it before because this big room in the basement we were using as the TV room and it's it's labeled as media room on like the house floor plan so it kind of makes sense but then we realized like we're not really using the space efficiently so we moved the TV stuff to a small room made it feel cozier it's actually better and then I gave I think uh, more than double the square footage now to use for video studio space and it gave me a realization even though this house is big, I think it was actually financially prudent to get it. Yeah, because Be- of the studio space? Yeah, because um, we would probably have to pay at least $2,000 a month for a similarly sized space that's in an area that would be suitable for filming. Like, I've seen super cheap garage spaces in business parks meant for, like, auto body shops and stuff. But that would be terrible because there would probably be an auto body shop right next door to us. Like, we'd uh, share yeah, a wall that would, that with somebody helpful, constantly yeah. banging around all day. That would be terrible. Plus, it would be a commute probably to a part of town that we don't want to go to. Uh, or we'd have to pay a lot of money. And then, you know, my apartment was 2 k on top of that. So, getting this big house, it's like, 
we have a perfect amount of studio space and it's right downstairs. Yeah. And it's good for the more artistic stuff I want to do as well, because I didn't want to have to take all my music stuff to an external office space. But if I want to do like, like filming guitar videos or something, I would have to either go to the office space or have to bring gear home. Now it's all in one place. Oh yeah. That would be inconvenient. Mm -hmm. And you wouldn't be able to use your, your like camera investments. Exactly. For music. Yeah, because I want to do that and eventually somehow merge that into what I'm doing with YouTube. I'm not quite sure how yet. Stage one is complete. I have the study playlists, which is cool, but also kind of annoying because now I get emails from all these like music promoters. And they're like, hey, did you know this band just put out a new track? Can you put it on your playlist? And I'm like, this, this is a metal band. You want me to put it on my instrumental study playlist? Yeah. Um, that doesn't line up. No. <laughs> Anyway, so yeah, um, it's just, you know, roadblocks and hiccups on the road to becoming an international pop star. That's, I've always wanted that. That's what, it's the entire, you know, you, that's how that's you do goal. it. Right? That's the goal. You start an educational YouTube channel in order to become an international pop star. It's the most straightforward path, proven track record. Many people have done it. I'm going to be the next Lizzie McGuire. As you should be. The character, not the actress. Like, oh, like the cartoon character? Yeah, I'm going to be that. I could get one of our people on that. We could Done. animate you Done. as Lizzie McGuire with like a sharper Adam's apple. Just have you pop up in videos every once in a while. Yeah. Okay, anyway, this is a, this is a podcast <laughs> um, about things, allegedly. We didn't derail too bad because it is a five questions. So it, it let's just pretend somebody's question was, what kind of nonsense do you have for us today? That was the bonus first question. <laughs> And we answered it. Done. <laughs> five questions episodes are not meant to be straightforward and to the point. Yeah. Like, if it's, you clicked on a five we, questions episode hoping that you would get an immediate answer, like, you clicked on a variety show no, episode. We, we kind of roshin meander about. That's an obscure joke. <laughs> yeah, <it is. laughs> and I'm not going to explain it. <laughs> if people want to know what that means, they can look it up themselves. <laughs> That's a really obscure <laughs> joke. <laughs> The only way to make it more obscure would be to like reference the flavor text instead of the card title. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> anyway, all right. So this is a five questions episode where we take five questions from you guys and we answer them in sort of a lightning round sort of fashion. Uh, so if you want to have your question answered on a future five questions episode or perhaps have your question fleshed out into an entire episode topic, because that has happened before, um, send us your questions in pretty much any way you want. Uh, we look at the Thomas at college at boogie.com email. We definitely look at tweets. I'm Tom Frankly on Twitter. You're yo, yo Martholomew. And uh, YouTube comments on the podcast episodes. Yeah. Yeah. We sometimes see questions on my main channel, but there's so many comments there. And a lot of them are just like, hey, why are your eyebrows blue? Which I don't understand. Um, the last couple of videos, people like there were several people who were like, "Why are your eyebrows blue?" And I cannot see it. Interesting. I may have changed the color grading a little bit, and maybe certain people's monitors are casting a blue tint on uh, like. Any I mean, they're probably part, but they're probably just sensing your aura, and your aura has been shifting. What does a blue to, aura mean? Is it like calm, peaceful? I didn't. I need to Google that. I don't. Aura I'm colors? not going to Google it right now. I don't know what that means in the comments tell me what is eyebrow blue? eyebrow aura and we're gonna go with turquoise right okay because i think that's a, that would be a cool looking aura that'll sound cool the aurora borealis kind of like all right those are green aren't they or maybe they're multiple colors 
Ooh, I've never seen those. Yeah, me neither. I want to go to the north sometime, like the way north, and see the Aurora Borealis. I need to put that on my impossible list. Anyway, let's get into the questions. Number one, what do you use to keep track of monthly bills? Just Google Calendar or something else? Well, for me, I just have everything in, like, Todoist, honestly. Just don't pay my bills? Well, that's a good call, actually, because that's just supporting, like, capitalism, man. Yeah. And when the bill collector shows up, I just give him a long, hard stare. Just, like, intimidation You, you like, hand him a book on, on anti-capitalist something, and you're like, yes. this is why I can't pay you today. Yes. And then they're like, that's a good point. On the origin of species. They Wait, sh- that's the they wrong They shake book. your hand, the and then they leave. Communist Manifesto. And they're like, yes, we will allow you to keep this big house uh, in a nice neighborhood. You've got most of your stuff <laughs> auto, don't you? Yeah, um, everything is auto for me that can be. Unfortunately, I cannot pay my rent automatically anymore. Our apartment would let us do it, so I had that set up to auto. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, This house is just owned by a couple, and they don't want to mess around with computers. They just like a check. That's fair. So to ensure that I never forget to pay the rent, I have a Google Calendar reminder. Um, It's just an all-day event it sends me an email and it is also in Todoist it's one of the very few things that I duplicate across both systems I just well yeah it makes sense it's important never want to forget it ever and I've had times where I like leave town on the 23rd of the month I think it was like uh April of this year I was in Iowa and I realized oh it's the 31st and I'm in Iowa and I don't have envelopes or stamps or checks crap Uh, Luckily, I was in Iowa, where my bank is, because I'm from Iowa, so I was able to drive to my bank, have them print me out a check. Oh, yeah, because you can't do it. post office. You know what? I didn't even consider that. Yeah, so since you can't do it electronically, you do have to make sure you're ready ahead of time because you can get. Yeah, otherwise, I would have had to call them. If you were like like, on a boat in the ocean, that would be inconvenient. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I have that duplicated across both systems. Um, Everything else is automatic, though I will say that. I do tend to go in and pay uh, pay down my credit card balances if they get high enough in the middle of a cycle. That's fair. Because I want to keep my credit utilization low. So for people who don't know this, uh, your credit score, which is very important for getting good rates on like auto loans if you ever wanted to finance a car for some reason or needed to, uh, like in your case, you had to. Yeah. Um, or you want to get a good mortgage rate when you want to buy a house, like a good credit score is just a very smart thing to have. And there are several factors to uh, defining your credit score. We went over them in our, I believe, budgeting episode. But one of them is what's called your credit utilization rate, which is the ratio between how much of your credit you have available to you. So like say you have a credit card limit of $10,000 and how much you are currently using, like what your current balance is. And you typically want to keep that below 20%. So... Uh, in the case of like buying the new camera and microphone and light and things like that, um, my business credit card went up way past 20% utilization. So the moment that the, uh, tra- the transactions actually posted, I went in and paid them down. Yeah. Just because I don't know when the credit rating- ratings agencies are going to be querying my balance to see what my score should be. So I just want to always keep it. And I think there are actually apps out there that will do this for you. I can't remember the name of it, but when I was back on uh, Listen Money Matters, we covered one that would basically watch your credit card and it would just, the moment it hit a certain balance, it would pay it down to that balance and then you could pay off the bill at the end of the month or whatever. Oh, that's cool. 
Um, credit cards are another one where I do have automatic payments set up, but I still go in and make sure it happens on the day. So there is another, there's a calendar reminder. Yeah. Yeah, just because I want to make sure like, again, a late payment, a late payment is actually the worst thing for your credit score other than possibly a delinquency where like you go bankrupt or something. Yeah. But uh, in terms of something that could happen really quickly, a late payment is the well, worst even, thing. Even one. Even one, like, yeah. Like a good uh, credit rating in that area is 100% on-time payments. Yeah. And then like if you're down at 99%, it's not like even once yellow in Credit Karma. Yeah, so it's definitely a not even once thing. I will never allow my credit card to be not paid on time. Um, I suppose it also is worth mentioning that uh, I will go in and make sure that my checking account has enough money in it. Yeah, this is that's why I don't have card. everything on auto. Mm-hmm. And then you know, it'd be easy to I move say, stuff like, between accounts frequently yeah. enough. So yeah, and there are times when like I have to pay estimated taxes. So you know if. And there, there's like timing issues. So I will tend to keep most of my money either in my business bank account or in uh, investments and mutual funds and things like that. So like there's there's always enough for general operating expenses in my checking account and savings. But uh, four times a year, I have to do estimated taxes where I need to send in three months worth of my estimates for that three months income. So I might be sending off like $8,000 or something like that. Yeah. And if I you know, make the transfer from my business account too late to do that. There could be like a gap where my credit card tries to post and it's like during that gap, it could be bad. That would be no good. Yes. So I do some checking, but for the most part, everything's automated. Is everything automated for you too? I only have things automated if I can direct them toward my credit card, because then I can guarantee Mm. that I will always have the money in the account because it's a credit card. Anything that takes, that requires me to go into, to have the money in the actual checking account, I do myself, but I have a to-doist list that's like, um, so when I get paid, I go through a list that's like, put this much money in my bills account, Okay. which is all of my bills put together, plus a little extra in case I misestimated energy or something. Yeah. And then like, I start from there and then I do everything that requires me to do it manually. And then I let the rest just kind of go to my credit card. I prefer them going to my credit card because I don't like having to worry about doing all the math and stuff in the beginning, but I just... I want to be very sure that everything happens and that I know what's going on. That's, that's because a I because I have like a bills account, mm-hmm. I have like a tax savings account, and then I have like a regular old savings account. And I, I want to mm-hmm. keep things separate so that it reminds me, oh, that's money that I set aside. Yeah, that's not for bills. That's not already spoken for. That's my savings. So like the moment uh, your paycheck hits your account, you're like I divided. Down and doing I that. divided amongst the the accounts. I'm like, okay. okay, so this part goes into the bills, and that means that before I do any spending, this part's going to go right into my savings account and my tax savings. Yeah, just I want to have it divided that way because otherwise, like um, some of my bills, the that auto pull from the checking account, they'll take until like the 24th, 25th to run. They don't all run like in the first five days or so. So yeah, I'll be like, oh, same. what? I still have two hundred dollars. No, I don't. I shouldn't spend that. That is the bills account. That yeah. that indicates do not spend that money. It was already spoken for, even if it looks like it's there. Yeah. Yeah. So with um, with all of your bills, do any of them have a fee for your credit card? Uh, none that I have going to my credit card. Okay. If, if, they have a, if they have a fee, I will pay it myself to avoid the fee. Yeah. But many of them will just allow me to just put it to my credit card regardless. And the nice thing about doing it to your credit card is those are expenses that 
are going to happen no matter what. So if you have a credit card with points, yeah. So I'm getting you are, like you are getting a, a, a small amount of free money. Oh, I yeah. should probably point out my credit card. Over the years, I've been given a very high like limit, a credit yep. limit. So my bills all put together on it do not hit a high percentage. Mm-hmm. So it is okay for me to not pay attention and let all of the bills hit it at once. Yeah. If if my bills were going to get like fifty to sixty percent, I would not be directing them all to the credit card for the reasons you mentioned earlier. That's definitely one of those things in life where it's um, absolutely a rich get richer thing. Yeah. Because like, yeah. if you are managing your credit card well, then they will just bump up your limit over time, yeah, and then that like, makes it even easier to stay low high, utilization. Yeah. yeah, it makes it easier. Yet another to spend reason even more to manage. To, if you get like a five hundred dollar secured credit card early in life, manage that thing well, because ten years later your limit could be twenty k, and if you only need to use like what a thousand dollars a month or something like that on it, your utilization's fine. Yeah, like you never have to worry about it, and then you get points. Now I'm I'm kind of wary of like point systems on credit cards because I think they often like encourage people. A lot to of them spend don't seem to add up either. Well, mine, so like every, I don't know, it's like every six months I'll look at mine and it's like, hey, you have $400 of cash back points. And I'll be like, cool, apply it to my balance and make it so I have to pay less. But I think with a lot of, I mean, they wouldn't run these points programs if they didn't encourage people to spend more money on their credit cards. It wouldn't make economic sense if like well, yeah. enough people did that to make it profitable. Well, you like pick the, you pick your categories for some of the cards that give you get more points. So they're mm-hmm. like, oh, I picked department stores this season. So that means... I'm going to go to department stores 15 times more often. Yeah. Hey, let's go to Target. I get points for it. Yeah. Well, and then some some of the bigger cards with like fancier rewards, like I'll go through and predict how much would that actually give me? And it's like 0.5% higher rewards than my current one. And I'm like, oh, so this sounds really fancy because it's specialized, Mm -hmm. but basically nothing would change because I don't care about 0.5%. And it might have a higher annual fee. And and like, yeah, I don't have an annual fee right now. So Mm -hmm. it's like, you're going to, that's barely different. Leave me alone. Yeah. You really got to do the math on it. I like it for my business credit card because like the points in the credit card are literally never a factor in, a, in me making a business purchase. So it's just like every once in a while I'm like, Hey, I have like a free plane ticket. Yeah. And I wasn't going to not use my credit card to pay my email list or to pay uh, our hosting or whatever it is. It's going to happen. So yeah. might as well get me free flights. Um, um, yeah, so I guess to-do lists, calendars. Automation. Yeah, automation. The, I only don't automate so that I can separate savings. Otherwise, I would automate if I had everything yeah. in like one big account at the moment. And I think it was good to note that you um, you kind of pay yourself first in that you put money into your savings the moment you get it. Well, yeah, otherwise, if you look in the bank account, you're like, oh, I do have money for this, but mm-hmm. I, I want a specific amount of savings so I can predict in six months this is where I will be. Yeah, with this much safety net, this much toward investments and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and I can't. It's really easy to spend money as soon as you see it, if you yeah. like anything new. You know, like we saw that really cool camera lens, and I'm just like, I could buy that right now, but I know that I shouldn't. I'm going to rent it instead because I can do that without affecting my savings. Yeah, and a lens so specialized as that, it would probably be a good rental first. Yeah, <laughs> just yeah. to make sure. <laughs> now I imagine I'll love it, but we'll find out for yeah. cheaper. I think it's going to need a lot of light. So it, it, it has may a be light a on the. It does have a light, but I was watching a review where uh, like macro photographers were using it, but they were also holding like this weird bulbous 
supplementary light. Mm. I think it was like a slate okay. flash or something like okay. that. Well, I mean, I usually do macro with literally no added light because I do it in such bright direct sunlight that it works out anyway. Yeah, but if it's that lens, but you we'll might be see. like sticking it into a yeah, tree Yeah, I haven't done it before, so. Mm. Yeah, and for people that, who are curious, be... we're talking about the uh, the probe lens. I forget the company that makes it. La but... Like Lawa or something? Yeah. MKBHD has a really cool video on it. That we it's really cool to. looking. It looks like an anteater or something. It really, it, yeah, it makes your camera look like an anteater yeah and then you instead of a camera yeah it's really weird looking but it's really cool yeah i may potentially get it as well the problem is you shoot sony and i shoot canon so we can't so have we the same can't lens, get the same yeah. lens unless we get a uh, speed booster but and the speed booster that i have does not work between our two cameras it works for uh black magic cameras so and i don't really want to spend seven hundred dollars on a speed booster again <laughs> no they're really expensive for what they are they're just I, well that's what you could say that about glasses uh, lenses of any kind it's just a hunk of glass it's a very expensive hunk of glass but what that hunk of glass allows you to do it's pretty cool yeah and potentially will pay off the investment all right um supplementary note to this question we did a whole episode on budgeting and we have an, a whole article on budgeting and um i don't know if you use it but i have a big spreadsheet that i use to manage all my income my uh debts expenses things like that i have a simpler version of that okay um and we could probably link to it in the show notes for this episode but it's also linked in the budgeting article i believe this week's episode of our show is brought to you by our friends over at Brilliant, which is a problem-solving and learning website that helps you learn and master math, science, and computer science much more efficiently than you would in traditional classes. And the reason for this is that Brilliant takes an incredibly active approach to teaching you these subjects. They have problem-based courses where you are immediately thrown into challenging but bite-sized problems that get you engaged, that get you really sinking your teeth in, and actually using the concepts that you're learning learning right away. And when you do this, you number one, stay more interested in the subject material. You don't get bored as easily because you're not just passively intaking things. Number two, you learn more efficiently because you're actually getting your hands dirty. And number three, you become better at solving problems in general. When you stretch your problem solving muscles in any application, in any one area, you become better at solving problems in all areas of your life, which will make you a better employee at your job or potentially a better business owner if you wanna start your own business or a better problem solver when you're just, I don't know, tinkering with stuff in your garage. I have a garage now. Yep. I'm gonna tinker with stuff in it. I also have a new studio space that actually has room for building stuff. It's coming. That is a good point. Let's solve some problems, man. You better be a good problem solver. So within Brilliance Library, there are over 50 interactive courses that once again can teach you math, science, and computer science. They have a course on scientific thinking, which allows you to use puzzles to develop a solid, basic understanding of the concepts in physics. They have courses on probability, statistics, uh, all courses in math, so geometry, calculus, differential equations for people who want to flex on me and get way smarter in math than I ever got, uh, science courses like gravitational physics and classical mechanics, and computer science courses like Python programming and computer memory. 
In addition to that course library, they also have a feature called Daily Challenges, where every single day they post up new challenges that you can sink your teeth into in about five minutes. So if you want to make learning a daily habit and you want to expose yourself to new topic areas that you hadn't considered before, the Daily Challenges feature is a really good place to start. And with Brilliant's free plan, you can get those new daily challenges every single day, again, for free. But if you want to get their premium subscription, which gets you access to all of those in-depth courses, more than 50 of them, you can go over to brilliant.org slash collegeinfogeek. And if you're one of the first 200 people to use that link and sign up, you're going to get 20% off that annual premium subscription. So once again, brilliant.org slash collegeinfogeek to get started. And big thanks to Brilliant for sponsoring this episode and being a big supporter of our show. And another big thanks goes out to Skillshare. Skillshare is a learning platform with thousands of different courses that can boost your skills and your career prospects in a ton of different topic areas. They have courses on marketing, big data and uh, analysis for marketing and analytics, things like that. Uh, lots of video production courses, animation courses, digital illustration courses. So if you want to get into media production, kind of doing some of the stuff that we're doing, they have a ton of amazing in-depth courses courses and areas like that. They have music production courses where you can learn things like EQ, compression, audio editing, you know, making music, all those fundamentals. And uh, the course that I want to pitch this week because I'm so magnanimous and very humble. Uh, there's a course called Productivity Masterclass, creating a custom system that works, which is created by, oh, it was me. Very it was magnanimous. Actually, it was actually me. You know, I'm trying to be like very humble. <laughs> So yes, if you want to learn how to build a seamless and um, useful productivity system that consists of a to-do list, a calendar, a note-taking system, a file management system, email management practices, and some meta skills to help you keep it all working seamlessly and not getting super messy as the semester goes on or the year goes on, you can take that course. And if you go over to Skillshare.com geek and sign up, you're going to get a two-month free trial of unlimited usage on Skillshare. And there's a lot you could learn in two months and you could definitely get through my course in two months. So once again, skillshare.com geek to sign up and get that two month free trial. And again, big thanks to Skillshare for sponsoring this episode and being a huge supporter of our podcast. Let's get back into it. Uh, all right, question number two. What do you think of people who just want to coast? They've got a good enough income and they don't wanna improve their career, social life, productivity, etc. Do you think it can be okay to get to a place where you're okay and just leave it at that? So I have a lot of thoughts on this one. Um, the first thought that I want to share is there is a Casey Neistat video. I believe it is just called Life Explained in 38 Seconds. And he sets his camera up on a tripod at an airport. And you know how airports have those moving walkways? Yeah. They're like escalators, but like flat ground. I like walking next to them and trying to like outpace the people who are on them because I'm a that really seems like competitive person. <laughs> well, usually like Anna will get on the, the moving machines walkway. won't beat me. Anna will get on the moving walkway and I'll be not on it and we'll like race each other like fast walk. <laughs> You're gonna get kicked out of the airport. <laughs> Look, you only get kicked out of the airport if you try to go up the down escalator. Anyway, uh, so he puts the camera there and he just uh, he starts walking on the moving walkway backwards. So he's going to get kicked out, actually. Okay. He's the one who did it first. And there's just the text that says, this is what happens if um, you keep doing what you've always doing. You stand still. And if you coast, you start moving backwards. The only way to get ahead is to sprint. And 
And I think that's a really powerful metaphor and, and a message because life is not going to stay static. Like if, if you think it is, you're being naive because no matter where you get to, and like this, this kind of sounds, I don't know, like it's like a depressing thing, but um, you get to a place where you're comfortable. Yeah, that might work out for the rest of your life, but it might not. And I mean, the person asking me this question, I'm guessing they're not at retirement age. They're probably not at a point where they've got like a million dollars saved up and they could reasonably weather any expense and make it to the end of their lives gracefully. They're probably younger and they're probably like thinking um, thinking along the lines of some people that we actually know who graduate college, get a good job that pays, you know, 60, 70 K a year, and then sort of just live a comfortable life. Come home at night, play video games, hang out with friends, go to work, just do the normal nine to five thing and not don't worry about progression. And that sounds fine now, but what happens if one of your parents needs your help in the future? Uh, or a sibling does or something? Or what happens if um, you get hurt and you can't work? What happens if your company decides to downsize or they automate your job away? Or another company comes onto the scene and uh, beats your company and puts them out of business? and you've coasted and now you you're not uh, ahead enough in the job market and you can't compete anymore yeah you weren't preparing for future problems Mm -hmm. i mean i think about this so when i started on youtube the only people doing content about study skills and academic performance were either like vloggers and a lot of like beauty channels, so girls who would often talk about makeup and just lifestyle would occasionally mm-hmm. throw up a video about how to do better in school, you know, once a year or something like that. And then uh, the other the other group was video cameras at the back of classrooms taping an hour-long lecture from a professor on how to do better in school. That was the landscape for academic performance and to a, to a similar degree, general productivity as well. There just wasn't much. So I was like, I want to do it more interestingly. I want to do productivity and study content in the vein of like Blog Brothers or JonTron or people like that, make it entertaining. And I, I think that's part of the reason that we've been so successful. Um, the landscape is a lot different now. You know, now we've got people like my friend Matt Diavella who are making productivity content using their skills and equipment as a documentary filmmaker who had a Netflix documentary. Hmm. It's a different landscape. And if I were to just coast, people would absolutely pass me up and people would stop watching my channel. Yeah. You know, I think you got to keep moving forward. It's not to say that you always have to be hustling to the point where you're exhausted, but I think if you adopt the mentality that I've made it, I'm done, I can just relax. You're running the risk of the world passing you by or of some form of like decay happening, whether it be like a family member, you know, having their health deteriorate, needing your help or your health deteriorating or getting into a car accident, having to buy a new car, a big expense popping up, things like that. Yeah, well, if any of the, if I've learned anything from the last five or six years of my life, it's that those problems never stop coming. Yeah. The problems start coming and then just keep coming. And uh, every time I'm like, okay, we're good. 
I fixed uh, the ankle or the nerve damage or the first broken car or now the second broken car. Mm -hmm. Every time I'm just like, finally, now I can start. Nope, there's another one. And if I I can't be preparing while simultaneously doing stuff that I like, then I'm never going to get anywhere. I'm going to keep being pushed back, like walking slightly forwards, going Mm -hmm. the wrong direction on the, the walking path. The only exception I can think of to this is if you're like a Buddhist monk. Because if you literally require nothing, then it's not that hard to maintain. If you're just like, I want to meditate and live in this temple and eat. Sure. But I have rent and a car and I have like this phone and a job and a bunch. Of, I'm, no, nobody's letting me just live on like donated scraps of food as a monk right now. Yeah. But so, I mean, well, I don't know a whole lot about Buddhism, but wouldn't you say that uh, the life of a Buddhist monk is still one of progression? It's just progression in a non-material sense. Well, it's progression in in a way that doesn't require a lot of like. I want to say the kind of stress that I imagine that most people who think I've got to keep doing all this stuff, I got to come home from work and then keep working on this other project, yeah. or I've got to got to keep doing. It's like a different. It's a more like, you know, Zen to be obvious. It's a more peaceful way to progress. Mm. It it's doesn't peaceful, but it's hard. It doesn't it? seem as maybe as difficult without this many different weird material problems coming at you, which, yeah. which they tend to. There, there are far fewer material considerations, to yeah. be sure. Like, basically, they have a lot less to maintain, so they can progress and maintain without dealing with much. But they're not waking up being like, well, I made it, so I'm just going to enjoy myself today. They're waking up being like, I'm going to deliberately be it meditate or whatever it is because yeah, I, I suppose have an intention. It wouldn't even be like, I, I've made it, so I'm going to enjoy today. It would be like, I've made it, and I am making it because I'm going to enjoy today. Like, it's the whole point. It's both the maintenance and the progression at the same time, mm-hmm. which you is know. cool. But that's not what I'm doing right now, you know? So if I stop moving and I just say, oh, you, you know, it, like, look at a programmer. If they stop learning for, like, four seconds. Yep. Sudden, they are passed up. I mean... I don't know half of the JavaScript frameworks that are being talked about on Twitter. I'm just I don't even know what that is. I don't know what that is. Why would I use that? I don't know what that is. Yep. So I, I know right now that if I were to go, to go try to like apply for a big programming position somewhere, I would need to catch up a lot. Mm-hmm. Well, like uh, even even in like um, simpler web development, when you and I were in high school and early college, being a WordPress developer was like the thing. WordPress was such an amazing platform for creating almost anything that wasn't like a super crazy web app. Yeah. And it still is, but now we have tools like Webflow. And so I I still advocate WordPress for people who are starting out because it's the cheapest option that still gives you a lot of control because I think Webflow is like 12 or 15 bucks a month or something like that. But if you're working for clients who don't care about a few dollars a month, Webflow is more robust, I think, now. Hmm. If you're not like a super crazy coder, like I know you can you can do magic with WordPress, but uh, for the average client, what you can do in Webflow is just insane compared to like a basic WordPress theme. Oh, it's yeah, almost yeah. like what you see is what you get truly realized. You almost like you're using you're almost doing like Figma, but it's literally building the website. Oh, that's cool. And I found some agencies that are doing Webflow design now for clients. And I look at their websites and I'm like, I could not tell that you did this in Webflow. 
and I wouldn't have thought you did it in WordPress. I would have thought this was like a custom coding job that costs like tens of thousands of dollars. Well, that's cool. And they're fast. See, and I don't even like know what this looks like. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm, I'm not progressing in the trying to be a programmer world very mm-hmm. hard. And therefore, no matter how skilled I think I am, I am drifting backwards by pure accident. Yep. That's the problem, right? You become a, you become a web developer. Um, you know, so you did it in 2009, 2010, kind of when we were learning. And you're like, cool, I know how to make a dope WordPress website. I can charge like 5K for a client. We're good. There's going to be clients for like the next 20 years who will probably take that on. But every single year that we get into the future, there are going to be people who are enticed to go with Webflow developers. There are going to be people who just use Squarespace and build it themselves. Your client pool is going to get lower and lower and lower. Yeah. Um, so you got to keep learning. Now, I am not advocating you work your 40-hour job and you come home and you work on side hustle until you go to bed because you're going to die or be destitute if you don't constantly hustle. It's not what I'm advocating at all. I'm not even specifically saying you need to dedicate more time to progression, but I do think that the I'm just going to coast mentality is a dangerous one. And it could be even as simple as, you know, you go into work and you work a little harder to get your work done faster so you can use some time to learn things. Or you go into work and you take on a project that's more challenging. Or you ask your boss, like, hey, I want to move up. What can I do to move up? Yeah. I'm, I'm doing networking right now. Like, I'm changing firewall settings. I want to move up to, uh, you know, networking team lead in the next two years. Like, what could I do to get to that, state, uh, to that stage? And then your boss will be like, cool, I'll put you on this project so you can learn. Yeah. Just have a learning progression-based mentality. Yeah, so I, I guess, like, the point is that what seems like coasting is often drifting backwards, or at the very least, something you'll regret in five years when you need to have been at a, a mm-hmm. different position. But I, that if you're doing something and you're someone who's working just hard enough to keep slowly progressing, and that's, like, we're not saying you need to be super ultra-billionaire entrepreneur. Just being mindful that the challenges in life tend to accumulate. Yeah. I just think people need to invest in themselves. And it is very useful to have a mentality that is based on investing in yourself in positive ways, whether it be buying better equipment or investing time in learning new skills or investing time in building new relationships, maybe going to a new event. Like it could be as simple as I've decided that this weekend I'm going to this conference where they're doing like a React workshop for like react.js. I'm going to learn React in a weekend or something like that. Or, uh, hey, someone just released a course. I'll take that this weekend. Yeah. Not talking about constant work, constant hustling, but just a mindset. I'm going to invest in myself on a regular basis. Yeah. Side note about that. Um, just uh, it's, it's a really good idea to be willing to invest money into your hobbies and stuff because it seems really easy for us all to like pay for Netflix or some other nonsense that's entertaining. But when it comes time to like, I don't really want to pay for that program or that course or something, but that stuff pays off a lot and it feels Mm -hmm. much better to spend money on that. So don't hesitate to spend a few dollars on that. Again, you're investing. If you're investing and there's like a likelihood of a payoff, then that money is not wasted. No, I mean, that that mentality can get out of hand too. Oh, you can definitely over invest. It's just like invest. And I've met plenty of people who are like, I've read one thousand self improvement books, and like, what did you do though? 
Like you read. I mean, I guess you probably increased your reading speed when it comes to that topic. (laughs) (laughs) I guess so, but uh, you could have done that with, um, you know, Sherlock Holmes on Gutenberg Press for free, or at the library, or something like that. Yeah, but I don't know. Here in my garage. Anyway, question number three. How do you account for channels that become successful with random skits and such, but are also able to produce longer form content like critiques? Aren't they going against their niche? I'm sorry, I did not write down the channel example they gave, and I do not remember it. At the time, I was sure I was going to remember it, but whatever. Was it Bill Wirtz? No, something with a G. Something with a G. Maybe. Boy, I don't know. Either way. There's a lot of channels uh, out there. Yeah. So it sounds like this Niches. person is asking, like, um, how does variety content work these days? But yeah, like if you specialize in one area, what allows you to also succeed in another area? How does that even? How does yeah. that line up against our niche logic? So I guess and this I person is asking fits, about it but for YouTube specifically. Yeah, their example think, was a YouTube channel. Okay, I think this might apply to other things as well, but we'll, we'll stick with the YouTube example for now. So the common wisdom on YouTube now is that variety content is dead because there's so much competition on YouTube that the way to cut through the noise is to niche down and let people know that this is what I'm about. You come to my channel because you're interested in this. So you go to um, Wendover Productions because you're interested in well-researched video essays about like logistics and air travel and things like that. You come to my video, my videos because you want productivity tips and uh, llamas going across the screen. You know, yep. very specific because no one else has llamas and productivity tips. And if they did, that's copyrighted. I don't think it is. It's fair use, but come on, use an alpaca or something. Um, That said, there's always going to be exceptions to the rule. And uh, so one exception that I like to point to a lot is a a guy named CGP Gray. Now, he doesn't tend to vary up the length of his content very often, and it has a seemingly consistent style because they're just animated explainer videos, but they can be on anything. He's done them on, like, AI He's done them on, like, the Black Plague. He's done them on, like, why weren't there, um, you know, as many domesticated animals in the American uh, continents. All kinds of random crazy things, like voting systems. And I've noticed that his is a channel where the topic is almost meaningless. People come to the channel for him. Some people just build an influence around themselves, where a lot of other people build an influence around uh, their ability to explain and make interesting a specific topic. Yeah. And I think that's easier because people often have pre-existing interests in a topic and nobody has a pre-existing interest in you except for your parents. Yeah, well, this makes a lot of sense for websites too because I've mm-hmm. definitely seen websites where it's like, um, other, in fact, other college websites in the past where it's like everything on the front page is just college stuff. There's no particular, I don't know who like the creator is or anything. Yeah. Whereas College Info Geek is at least slightly more a personality driven, also success thing. But the, the branding is different, which has allowed the um, niche to expand a little bit. Mm-hmm. We've always been able to sort of push push in a different direction occasionally. And yeah, like especially on the podcast, just kind of random stuff. Mm-hmm. The podcast, the podcast is an interesting one. The podcast may be a situation where people come for the personalities more than the topics. I think that that is less of the case on YouTube because I definitely see a lot more variation in view numbers on the topics on YouTube. 
Um, and if podcast stats themselves are deceiving because a lot of people's podcast apps will oh, automatically yeah, yeah. download episodes and we, we there's no way we would for know. us to know we that know. they actually listen or not. But at least looking at the numbers, the audio feed for the podcast is quite consistent. And I know personally from my own listening habits that with podcasts like uh, Money Lab, I will download and listen to every single episode. I do not care about the topic. I just care that it's my friends Matt and Andrew having a conversation. Yeah, just like a radio show. Yep. And I just want to tune in and listen because I find their banter interesting and fun and amusing. Um, the website is a little different because the website's main traffic source is Google. So the overall cohesion is actually of uh, secondary importance. The most important thing is how well did we cover this specific topic because people tend to find us through that topic. Yeah, so a topic that has nothing to do with the rest, if done yep. well enough that it ranks in Google, will still draw people in. Mm -hmm. And there, there is even some, if it doesn't fit quite well, there's some weight to you know people coming back, people checking the site. But for the most part, we can dig into our data. We see it is first time visitors coming from Google searches. YouTube is different still. A lot of our traffic comes from search terms on YouTube. Um, in fact, our search traffic on YouTube is quite a bit higher than most other channels that I know. Hmm. But with YouTube, a lot of people subscribe, and then there's that whole recommendation engine that will show uh, videos on the front page, and you just that's where most people tend to get their videos now. You know, I can look at my data, and it's like most people are coming from the browse features. So with YouTube, because it's mostly browse features, I think it makes more sense to stick to a niche at least in the beginning, because again you are catering to an interest that someone already has and you're helping them explore it and then they might become enamored with you along the way. But because there's so much competition, it is very difficult to cut through that noise with variety content because again, there's no pre-existing interest in you. You have to build that over time. Yeah. That's now if you build like it with a niche everything, and then expand, then you're fine. Like I've started to build a small uh, following that wants to see music from me. But that's because I spent so much time building a niche-based following first. Yeah, yeah. It's like the same thing on Instagram. It's like the same thing anywhere you're doing content type things. Mm -hmm. And then eventually you can get to a point where your niche could be like a couple things. You could be specialized in the combination of two weird things. But in order yep. to pull the audience that wants both of those, it's tricky. And you'd probably be better off starting with like yeah. whichever one's going to pull in people faster and then slowly throwing in your other content and seeing who stays. Mm -hmm. And I know people who do two things, but they have to accept the fact that, you know, th they kind of have to separate them. So a uh, guy named Sean Ogle has one site that's about um, golf. And his whole mission there is like he wants to play the top 100 golf courses in the world and then reviews them on the site. And so like that's one thing. And then his other thing is... Um, teaching people how to do internet business, hmm. but they're fairly separate. Like there's probably some people who are like, I'm into the golf. I'm into the internet marketing. I'm here for <laughs> it, here for all of it. Tell me how to internet market while I'm on a golf course. I, I need, I built a laptop into my golf cart. I got it ready to go. But probably the majority is in like the non intersecting lines of the Venn diagram there. So you just got to realize that. So yeah, when you're starting off um, again, these people are the exceptions to rule. And I think, uh, I've said this a lot of times, but the people who are going to be the exception to the rule are probably ignoring me in the first place. So I don't really feel the need to account for them when I say things like it's probably a best practice to niche down first. Yeah. 
And when you see people breaking that rule, you can tell yourself they're the exception to the rule. Hey, maybe you are too, but I don't know. I don't think I am. All right, question number four. I don't know where to start with investing. When I try to sign up for Vanguard, for example, it tells me to select an account type to be able to create an account, select an amount of funds, etc. And I can't quite figure out how to just get started. What should I do? Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, what, are, what are those accounts? What's like a five second? Walk me through it. I'm going to sign up right now on my phone. All right. I'm not going to do that. You want like the most brain dead simple thing? That seems reasonable. Go to betterment.com, set up an account, and put in like 50 bucks. And if you're mm-hmm. young, set it to growth. Because it's gonna it's gonna ask uh, you to like see, adjust a slider or see, something that's like. that's so simple. What I could do, do it want? on my phone do right now. Do you want like? Do you want to have like optimized for growth and security? Because you're older. No, if you're like 20, growth. Set an automatic investment, 50 bucks a month or whatever it is you can afford to invest, and let it do its thing. What would make you choose Vanguard over Betterment? Or do you do sort of a both? And what's the, what's the difference there? Betterment's uh, automatic. I right? so here's uh, here's my full disclosure. I am an affiliate for Betterment, uh, though I will say if you just go to Betterment.com, I will make no money off of that. I think you, oh, have, yeah, you would have you, to find a Betterment affiliate link on my site and click that. Um, and due to SEC rules, I cannot be a customer of Betterment and an affiliate uh, because there's like some rule about you can't be a paid advocate for an investment that you're also invested in or something like that. I don't know what it is. Like when you hear Tim Ferriss do ads for Wealthfront, he makes it clear. He's like, I literally am not allowed to legally invest in Wealthfront and also advertise them. That's interesting. uh, Wealthfront's very simple as well. But again, you asked me what's the most dead simple thing to do. It's that. Just go to Betterment, open an account, put in like 50 bucks, and set an automatic investment, and you're done. You did it. Just let it You've just You just invested. You can now throw all your money in the air. And say you're rich because you've got like yes. a portfolio or it's something. It's like that scene from Breaking Bad where he like lays down on the big pallet of money. I gotta do it. I gotta do it, man. <laughs> All right. Okay. So you asked you asked me why I would use Vanguard over Betterment. Yeah. Like what's what's the difference? So here here's the next part. I would use Vanguard over Betterment as an investor. And I say this as somebody who stands to make money from you signing up for Betterment. But I would always choose Vanguard personally. Hmm. So I have some reasons why. Uh, actually, Graham Stephan, a YouTuber who does a lot of investing content, has a good video about Betterment and these kind of things. Um, again, if you are at all suffering from analysis paralysis, and here, here's the barometer. If uh, more than two months ago you had thought I should start investing and you put it off because you were, you were paralyzed, just go to Betterment. That's a pretty good barometer. Just do it. Because if if you waited two months, you're going to wait two months more. You're going to wait two years more. You're going to be like, crap, I could have started investing when I was 20, and now I'm 25. That's five years of lost time. Hmm. You know? So, seriously, if, if you have any kind of, like, hesitation, just I would do that personally. Um, and I am I could be fair and, and list other options, but, again, I do not want to give people analysis paralysis, and I think Betterment is a good option. Here's why I would use Vanguard. Betterment, their whole deal is they are not an actively uh, an actively managed investment fund. So there's not like a literal dude who like is driving a Ferrari and you know stacking fat stacks of cash who's like picking the funds. Um, actively managed funds like that are usually a bad bet because 
They often do not outperform what's called the index, uh, which is essentially a fund that just follows the entire market. Uh, and they charge pretty big fees on top of uh, what you would be charged with just an index fund. So for context, a straight up index fund, like the Vanguard Total Stock Index Fund, I believe has what's called an expense ratio of 0.05%, which means that every single year, uh, Vanguard will charge you 0.05% of whatever your, I believe it is earnings, not, not principal, but earnings uh, as an account management fee. So if you put in X amount of dollars and let's just say over a year, you made a hundred dollars in, uh, in profit from the investment, um, whatever you call it interest, then they would take uh, 0.05% of that. So not 5%, not $5. It would be what? Like 50 cents or something like that. I don't know. My, my math is not doing. I haven't well. done. I haven't done a it's lot of very, math. This very uh, low amount. Whereas an actively managed fund might take 2%. So that is 40 times higher. Oh, yeah. It seems small, but it is much higher. And you're just like, yeah, well, it's 2%. It's 2%. It's 2%. It's fine. Uh, you can do, like, there are calculators out there where you can show, like, what does a 2% account management fee do to your potential earnings over 30 years of investing or 40 years of investing, which that's the goal, right? If you're 20 yeah. years old, it would be the best thing in the world for you to start investing now, invest regularly, and leave your money in the market for 40 years. Because if you have 40 years to grow, you're going to make a lot of money over time, as long as you don't panic and sell it during the bad times. Yeah. Um, and 2% management fee will eat into that. I think we did a, a, a illustration in our budgeting episode or our investing episode where it's like, you, know, you could have made $2 million, but instead you made like $1 because over time the compound interest also happened to the account management fee and it just ate into things. Um, so Betterment charges, I want to say it's 0.25% account management fee, which isn't super high. It's not the 2% that an actively managed fund would charge you. Um, 0.25% is actually not bad at all. But the problem is that is on top of the account management fee of the funds they invest you in. So Betterment, instead of having somebody individually pick the funds to put your money in, they have algorithms that do it based on your goals. So if you put money into Betterment and you're like, I want to grow, I'm young, I want it to grow as best as possible. It's going to choose an allocation of funds, probably involving like Vanguard Total Stock Index Fund, probably some sort of like emerging opportunities fund with uh, smaller companies, possibly international development fund where it's like companies in China or, or other countries like that. And it's optimized for growth, a little higher risk, but you know, um, nine times out of 10, probably going to grow a little faster than like bonds or something. Um, so every single one of those funds is going to have its own expense ratio. Vanguard total stock in there is going to be like the 0.05%. The international development one, maybe it's like 0.1%. So you're paying the fee on every one of those and you're also paying the 0.25. So again, okay. it doesn't add up to anything even close to what an actively managed fund would charge you. And there are some benefits that you can read about on Betterment's uh, website. There's like this tax loss harvesting thing, which I barely understand, but it can save you money. Um, they will rebalance your portfolio as time goes on. Um, they will try to like use big data to manage it intelligently. But uh, I thought Graham Stephan had a good point that um, you know, you're paying 0.25%, which is a guaranteed fee to maybe save money on tax loss harvesting and maybe gain an advantage over uh, just picking your own funds in Vanguard 
with their rebalancing and things like that. Mm. So that is why if, um, again, assuming you're not going to let analysis paralysis stop you from investing, that's why I would go with Vanguard. And if I was going to go into Vanguard, this is what I would do. If I had at least $3,000, which is the minimum investment for most of their funds, I would just put it into the Vanguard Total Stock Index Fund. Is that just total, like, that follows, like, the... Just follows the broad swath of the market. The whole thing. You're basically betting on the American economy. You know, and again, this is for the U.S. audience. I don't know how to invest in British things, and though I did invest in Nintendo... Nintendo is pretty account. good. I put like three grand into Nintendo. I like Nintendo. Well, I th- here's here's my bet for Nintendo. Eventually, they are going to figure out how to not be bad at online. They are always like a little <laughs> bit behind on that kind of stuff, but always ahead on having better games, in my opinion. Yes. And not, I really wish know, I had in- invested in them before the Switch came out because, oh boy, yeah, <laughs> they did really well. But uh, you know what? Like, I'll I'll make a long term bet on Nintendo. I think they're pretty good. But uh, again, I've been investing for nearly 10 years now. So that's like a small percentage. So you're not putting 100% of your eggs no, in No, because that most, would be kind uh, of absurd. I have most of my money in Vanguard. Um, you know, and I can tell people what I'm in. I'm in, uh, if you look up the Golden Butterfly portfolio, um, we can link to that in the show notes. I, that's a cool name. It is a pretty cool name. <laughs> I have some in Golden Butterfly, so that's like 20% actual gold. And then there's four different categories of either bonds or stocks. And it's just like this crazy data analysis-driven portfolio that does almost as well as total stock index, but then has less volatility in the bad terms. Um, But most of my money is in that total stock index fund. Hmm. It's like my single biggest source of investment. And then there's a retirement account, um, and there's a little bit of Bitcoin and like a few other things. But most of it is in that total stock index fund. Over the past 10 years, it's done really well. Again, that uh, expense ratio is super low. So I'm young. Most people listening to this are younger than me or around the same age. That's where I'd be personally. Uh, the only caveat I would say there is like if you're saving up for a house or if you want to get into real estate investing or something like that, maybe worth doing something like Golden Butterfly instead of just straight up total stock because if we hit a recession... So here's here's my thing. If we hit a recession and I'm in a less volatile portfolio, my funds don't take as big of a hit. But if we hit a recession, there's probably gonna be a lot of deals out there. Mm. Like right now, houses are stupid overpriced. It makes no sense to buy a house right now. But uh, who knows, five years from now, we could be in a totally different economic situation and people might be like, I have to sell my house and I'm willing to part with it for less money because we can't inflate prices as much anymore. And if I didn't take as big of a hit in my um, investments, I would have cash sitting around to take advantage of those deals. Oh, yeah. So that's my thinking there. Um, Oh, back to that account or that minimum investment. Most of Vanguard's funds, including that total stock, is a $3,000 minimum. The one I can think of that doesn't have $3,000 is the Star Fund, which is $1,000 minimum. Uh, The Star Fund is not super optimized for growth. It has like some stocks with some bonds, but it's a really good starter fund to get into if you don't have a whole lot of money. When I was 19 years old, I was sitting in my accounting or my accounting, my programming class, not paying attention. I had about $1,000 in my savings account and I was like, I wanna start investing. 
I can't afford the total stock. I want it, but I can't afford it. And I think it's going to take a long time for me to get $3,000. So I just put it in the star. And I left it there. And I did stupidly take part of it out later on to buy a bike, which don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Leave the money that you invest in your investments and save up money from your income to buy the things you want. Do not tap your investments like a bank account for stupid fun purchases with the possible exception of a down payment on a house or like emergency medical expenses or something. Um, but yeah, that's what I would do. So all that to say, if there was even a hint of this sounds complicated, I don't care, go to Betterment and start investing. And then later on down the road, if you're like, I don't want to pay that fee anymore, move your money out of Betterment. Oh, yeah, yeah. Later, once you've like, you've, yeah, you've gotten used to it and it's no longer scary. Yeah. I used to use Betterment. I moved it all out. Now, I moved it all out because I wanted to be able to promote it because, like, it's another income source. But uh, I will always be straight up with the fact that it's not the best, in my opinion. But it is the easiest and most no brainer option to start investing that I can think of. Money. Hmm. money. Money, money, money. Money. Money bags. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, do whatever it is that gives us money. <laughs> That's a good way to shill, right? Wow. There's, there's certain ways to make money. You should do those things. That's it. <laughs> That's how you do it. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Here, yeah. Here's, here's the actual way that I shill properly. Go to the show notes and click the Betterment link there. Yeah. Or just go to it. I don't care. Yeah. Who cares? <laughs> Number four. Do what you want. Oh, no, that was, that was number four. Number five. I'm going into my third year in college, and I've already had several successful internships. This has motivated me to reach out to more competitive companies out of my state. But my biggest fear with relocating is that I will regret it due to loneliness, not liking the city I chose, or not liking the company I went with. What was it like when both of you moved to Colorado, and do you feel the move was ultimately worth it? There's a lot packed into that question. Yeah. I feel like that's several questions in one. It is kind of. Um, let, let me give the general thing I want to say before we talk about our experiences, which is that our wonderful writer, Ransom, wrote an absolutely amazing guide on how to move to a new city. It is on College Info Geek. We will have it linked in the show notes. Uh, it has all the stages that you would want from identifying which city you would want to live in and identifying the factors that would make it attractive or not, such as temperature, climate, um, population, spread outness, sprawlness or whatever. Yeah. Um, budgeting concerns. He links to tools on how to compare the cost of living in your city versus the city that you might want to move to for like figuring out how much money you need to make. Um, how to move, like how do you book a U-Haul, things like that. And then he also has a section on how to make friends quickly with a bunch of ideas. Well, that's useful. Yeah. I think, you know, any sizable city that you move to, if you are proactive, you can make friends. You won't be lonely unless you choose to be lonely. You know, like when we moved to Denver, um, Anna and I went to the Denver subreddit on reddit.com and found that every Wednesday there's a rotating board game night that goes to different breweries. So we just went to that several weeks in a row and met some people and then i got a climbing gym membership and that's how i met my good friend taylor yes you got to go do things um that being said let's talk about the actual experience of moving here because i think we've we've had different experiences we have yeah. we have had different experiences <laughs> who wants to go first on this one uh 
Do you want to talk about your experience? Sure. Uh, okay, so once upon a time, I moved to Colorado. It, I don't regret this decision. I am fairly certain. 80% of the time, I do not regret this decision because I wanted to not turn 30 in my home state. No offense to people. For me, it was because I was like, I know if I wait that long, still here, still comfortable, I'm not going to leave. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to push my comfort zone before I got used to it too much. Yeah. I love Iowa, but I wanted, I knew I would just kind of, it would be hard to find what time do I leave after another five years or so. Yeah. So I moved out here. Uh, my experience is that um, moving is very expensive when you don't realize that you don't actually have any furniture or kitchen stuff when you move. That's that's uh, obnoxious. Like every single tiny kitchen that item is, is twenty dollars. True, we um, did share a lot of kitchen stuff. Yeah, I didn't have a lot of that stuff for myself. Um, but, but I think this person might not live with four roommates. Yeah, that we were in a weird situation for that. But um, moving has unexpected expenses. And then since moving here, what's happened, unfortunately, like I moved here without a, I had some savings. I used it all to get here. Mm-hmm. After that, a series of catastrophes have just happened. Like my floor was ruined. I couldn't use that for for months. Um, I've had two cars get ruined. Well, one of them was my fiance's car, but it was the car we were both using. Yep. That got ruined. I had to buy a new car. The new car got totaled recently. Had to buy a new car. Yep. Um, you know, I've Which, uh, boy, that was a crappy situation. Broke my it was finger. Had literally to, not your fault at all. Yeah, I broke my finger. Had to get surgery. Had a whole bunch of medical expenses. Uh, got behind on taxes because of that. And trying to move to a new place. Weird carpet beetle problems. Basically, series of catastrophes all the way down. I really feel like I haven't even had a single month where I could just fully enjoy being here. But I do not regret coming here because it's important when moving somewhere. I think to separate what events, what things maybe you don't like actually have anything to do with where you're at. Because yeah. all the things I just listed could have happened anywhere. They have nothing yep. to do with Denver. So it would be inaccurate for me to be all mad at Denver and blame Denver for what is really just my bad luck. It has nothing to do with Colorado as a state. Yep. When I'm not dealing with those things, it's actually pretty cool here. And uh, I think there's something there's something that John Green was talking about. Um, I, think I, I think I was at, maybe it was at PodCon. Mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not 100% sure. But he was talking about how like when you move somewhere, you're going to have to be like if you don't like where you're at now, you need to consider the possibility that what you don't like is largely related to you because he was like, "Okay, well if I moved uh, over here, well, I'm going to be like, "Oh, cool. It's Indiana and also me." And if you move to New York, you'll be like, "Oh, cool, it's New York, but oh, look who came along. <laughs> it's mm. me." Yeah. So so if your problems are more related to how you react to the situations in your life or maybe some other problems that you have that you could fix yourself and it's not just luck-based, that the moving or not moving has nothing to do with it. So you shouldn't be afraid to move somewhere or you shouldn't move somewhere. Hate it initially because you're out of your comfort zone and then move back immediately because similarly that didn't – it had nothing to do with anything. Yeah. It's uh, just some temporary discomfort. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. There's this saying, uh, going back to what you were talking about with John Green, and I don't know who said it. I don't know if anyone knows who said it, but it just goes, wherever you go, there you are. Oh, yeah. Like, there you are. (laughs) So it is partly, you know, learning to live with yourself. Well, yeah, like if you suffer from, like, depression or something, you can't move away from it. 
that doesn't work. The problem needs to be solved at a different layer. It mm. needs to be, you can't assume that the town has anything to do with it. I will agree and disagree with that because I actually have seen some people online being like, this place I moved to far better for my mental health. Ooh, if, if something in the environment specifically is causing, mm-hmm. like if you hate being around lots of people and stuff like that. Yeah. Like I know someday you'd like to live in the Northwest. I love the Northwest when I visit it, but I actually worry that I would be sadder there because of how gray it is. I love the I gray. Know. I just, I cannot do the gray. But see, yeah, <laughs> I, I love it there, but I know that I'm perfectly like the average day is perfectly fine here. Yeah. It's the catastrophes that make it seem bad. And the average day will be similar because I'm going to move somewhere where I have similar interactions with people. And if you're going from like a small town to like the Manhattan, you're, it is very possible that Manhattan will specifically do something <laughs> to your mental health because it's a drastically different environment. But it's not like... But it might be great. It's not like the geographical location's fault. In mm. that case, it's the amount of people. So there are plenty of other places you could have moved mm-hmm. that wouldn't have done that, that aren't where you already are. Well, some people love the transition to having a zillion people around them. Yeah. Like some people thrive well, on I it. mean, some people must love it because people live there. <laughs> There's a lot of people there. It's true. Yeah, I don't think I could do New York. I go there enough to know that after a few days, it really starts to grate on me. But, yeah. but a few days in New York is great. Like, when I get there, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's, just, it's so compressed, and there's just so much going on. It's, like, so much manic energy. I like it. And then, like, eventually it starts to wear on me. Like, oh, yeah, I can't really film a video very easily because there's constantly horns and sirens outside. No, yeah, there's trash all over the streets in this place. Yeah. Yeah, that's a danger, too, is if you visit <laughs> someplace on vacation, you get, like, look how amazing everything is oh yeah i'm bad about that but it's but the but the thing is it's not necessarily the location it may also just be that you're on vacation and that's yep. that's a pretty cool thing to be doing that's why i like to go places and then kind of work remotely and do normal stuff have a mm. few boring days because otherwise i don't know what it's really like yeah i have this potentially bad habit whenever i go on vacation somewhere i will go to like the city data forums and like google this place versus denver things like that it's like yeah what have other people said you know have you moved from denver to maui even though like it would be so impractical like maui's cool but it's like a six-hour flight from anywhere else yeah everything's expensive because it's all imported yeah oh that's a good point but but it was a cool place you know and like i had a conversation on the phone with a friend who lives in seattle now and then i was like huh type 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 seattle versus denver living <laughs> it's like I, I can't help but indulge my curiosity on those things even though i like there's this there's this voice in the back of my head that's like no matter how much you would try to justify it it gets gray don't do it yeah but who if, knows if you hate gray maybe i'll un, unjustify that someday i don't know um personally i i'm super happy i moved to denver it is much more suited to my lifestyle as somebody who likes to mountain bike and ski and snowboard. Um, I think it's actually kind of the perfect size of city for me. I thought Des Moines, Des Moines was a bit small. Ames felt small when we went to college up in Ames. Like I would look at the map sometimes and realize everything surrounding Ames was just cornfields and just land. And I, I would feel trapped in the middle of nowhere. And here I don't feel like that. But it's not a place like L.A. where I found the traffic to be just insane. 
to the point where it frustrates me. Like traffic can get bad here, but I, I can kind of figure out how to avoid it usually. Um, and it's not like New York where I just is so crowded that I get, at least Manhattan, I just can't do it. So it's pretty good sized city. Um, what I want to focus on though is like these these worries that this guy has. Like I'm worried that, that I will regret it due to loneliness, due to not liking the city, or me not liking the company I went with. So loneliness, again, there are great ways to make friends wherever you go. Um, Reddit.com has subreddits for almost every major city, most minor cities. I know there's one for uh, Ames and Iowa State, for sure. And a lot of people will be like, hey, who wants to meet up for uh, D&D or board game night or I want to go rock climbing, do something like that. Um, Meetup.com has plenty of groups. I've done like cycling rides with groups here in Denver for Meetup.com. There are all kinds of classes you could take. I started taking vocal lessons. I feel like I'm kind of friends with my vocal coach now. Um, there are like karaoke jam nights my vocal school does that I'm going to start going to. So that would be a great way to meet some other musicians. You just got to get out there. And it's the big thing that you talked about. Like you wanted to get out of your comfort bubble. Yeah. But like when you get out of your comfort bubble, you have to do things to sort of establish like a new comfort bubble. You can't just always be out and isolated oh yeah and i mean no that's why i haven't met anybody new here because i have why well, i was like i'm probably gonna leave soon so i'm not gonna bother making any new friends mm. and thus i have not yeah but I, now you have the opportunity to. i don't go to anything um not liking the city you chose well i think the biggest thing there is do the research first like ask yourself does the way that this city uh, is it you know, is it laid out in a way that I would enjoy? Do I like having a you know no car lifestyle or do I want to have a car? Things like that. Um, you can do the research. You can look on Google Maps, and then I would visit it. We visited Denver what twice I think before we came here. Might have been twice. I think I visited it three times. Yeah, Anna and I visited once on on our own, and then we all visited twice I think before we actually made the move. So go out and just try it. Like grab an Airbnb for a few days and just. Don't do the touristy things. Just act like a local. Just live in it if you can. You know, if you can. Uh, And then not liking the company. So the main thing is like, if you had to, you could always move back. Right? You could quit. You might take a hit. But what are you going to think when you're like 60 and you didn't try? Yeah, that's exactly why I came out here and why I still don't like regret it most of the time, even though it's been nothing but bad luck. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, but I, I grew. Mm-hmm. And, you know, who knows? The bad luck could probably be done now. Yeah, maybe it is. And maybe it's just awesome. Maybe it's on. done now. And again, like the bad luck stuff didn't have anything to do with Denver for the most part. Yeah. Like some Besides, stupid uh, jerk could have run into your uh, car who, in whoever, Iowa. Whoever this was, uh, question asker. Actually, I think it might have been a girl. Okay. I vaguely, I don't even know where this came from. I, I kind of remember it. Anyway, if if you do end up in Colorado, what you should do is you should eat a water course. That's how you'll know if Denver's good <laughs> because their food is really yes. good. Yeah, please go eat at water course. Yeah. It's real good. See, there are plenty of things to like about Denver. I love Denver. As long as you can separate what's what's the environment, what's Denver, and what's just you. Mm-hmm. My bad luck is just me. Nothing to do with Denver. So it would be a mistake to move back because of it. Yeah. And there, I think there are things you learned that you didn't like, like um, our first place we lived. You kind of learned like that environment was not for you. Yeah. Well, and you can't concrete. really, 
you can't even fully know that kind of stuff until you do it. Like it seems yep. really cool at the, uh, at the start, you envision it, but then the everyday reality is the problem is we don't often accurately think about what our average boring day does look like. Mm-hmm. I didn't think that having so much concrete around me would be annoying because there's a beautiful trail close enough by. Yep. Well, it turns out that having a beautiful trail in one direction and concrete in all of the others is still not quite what I want. It's not the worst. Yeah. But but you want more green. It's like, really, and I think in order to find out what you really want to do and where you want to live, you're just going to have to keep trying over and over. And mm-hmm. if you only stay in a few locations, your data is really flawed. You don't really yeah. know. But now I kind of know exactly what kind of environments make me happiest now that I've been traveling to a few places. And like, yeah, it's unexpected. So envision yourself as a scientist explorer. You're going out into the unknown to gather data. You gotta have like the jungle hat and a science lab coat. Yes, you have both of those. It doesn't match at all. And most scientists when going out into the field would pick gear that actually fits the field. No, but not they, you. They wear a lab coat like not Pokemon you. trainers. Lab coat, even though you're not in a lab, yes. Like Even though yeah, you're standing in the middle of a cave. Yeah, you still have it. Which is pitch black until a 10 year old boy comes in and uses flash. You're standing there in pitch black <laughs> darkness Wearing a lab coat. Yeah. And all the Pokemon you have are literal time bombs that would explode. And that's just your life. That's science. Yes. And with that, I think it's time to end this podcast. <laughs> yeah. That, try stuff out. <laughs> try things out. Um, this is episode 275. So if you want to find the show notes where we have uh, linked to many of the things that I said we would link to in this episode, go over to cigpodcast.com slash 275. Check all that stuff out if you're curious. Uh, otherwise, you can go to cigpodcast.com and keep looking at the monitor instead of the lens because like it's far away. I'm not used to that. Most cameras I have monitors like super close to the lens. Anyway, uh, cigpodcast.com is where you can go to figure out how to subscribe to the show. If you're not currently subscribed, if you're like listening to it on AM radio transistors that like in some old neighbor's garage or something. Uh, we are on Spotify. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher. Every time I have to do this whole rigmarole, rigmarole, I'm just reminded of how fragmented the podcasting world is. Like, you want to watch my YouTube videos? Go to YouTube. That's it. Yeah. Podcasting? Well, you know, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, uh, Podcast Addict, Web Browsers. There's, Anything there are that a can lot intake of options. Uh, RSS feed. I'll, I'll email you the MP3. <laughs> I'm not going to email you the MP3. Yeah, Spotify's good, I think. Unless you don't want to pay for the, the ad-free Spotify. But Spotify's become my podcast app now. Hmm. Like, I used to use Pocket Casts, but it's just, like, so convenient to just go over to the podcast I want in Spotify. So I just started using that now. The only thing I don't like about Spotify is that... Uh, the full show notes don't show up. Oh, yeah? Yeah, so like if, if we have clickable links or whatever, if you're in Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, you can actually see the full show notes. In Spotify, it's just like a block of text. Maybe they'll fix that. I doubt it. I could see Spotify not wanting people to leave their app. It's oh, a yeah, very that would, that would make sense. software company thing to do, isn't it? Um, anywho, if you want to support this show, a good way to do it is to share it with a friend. Maybe let them know what your favorite episode is, where they could start. Uh, and also, if you have Apple Podcasts or iTunes, you can go over there and give us a five-star review and rating and review. Uh, unless, of course, you don't think this is a five-star podcast, in which case 
keep your mouth shut. Just <laughs> <laughs> or give us honest feedback. It's totally up to you. <laughs> Whatever you want to do. Um, collegeinfogeek.com is where you can go to read lots more cool articles, watch videos, find more podcasts, possibly see a pixel llama in the footer. Yeah, if you, if you go down there. It's going to be there. You'll see it. It's probably going to be there. So check that out. Thanks for listening and hanging out with us. We'll see you in the next episode. Stay cute.